0: So in a, in a normal-sized supermarket, typical American supermarket, Kroger, whatever, uh, you walk in, you're going to find uh, 285 varieties of cookies, 75 different kinds of iced tea, 175 different salad dressings, 40 options for toothpaste, 230 different soups, and 275 cereals. That's uh, I didn't count them. That's that's according to a guy named Barry Schwartz who counted them up for his book, The Paradox of Choice. Um, the thesis of his book is familiar to any of us who uh, who live and have shopped in a grocery store, uh, who have tried to buy anything in America. Uh, it, his thesis is that there's just there can be such a thing as too many choices, and that's the paradox of choice. There's there's too much choice, and you find that there's so many options, you can't actually decide which one to choose. So, I might go to the grocery store with the assignment to bring home some ranch dressing. And I stand there at the ranch, it's got like a whole aisle of ranch dressing. You know, and you look and you say, "Well, there's the old-fashioned buttermilk ranch, there's the classic cheese ranch, there's the spicy ranch, there's the bacon ranch, there's the cracked peppercorn ranch, you could get that in brand name or generic. You can get it with the regular or the fat-free or the light. I'm not sure what the difference is between the light and the fat-free. You can get it with the easy pour top or the open mouth. And I just stand there, I think, well, I think something said bacon, so I'm going to go with that one. That's kind of my, that's my heuristic for making decisions. If something says bacon, I'll choose that one. No, but, but there's so many options, right? We, and not, not with dressing, you go try to buy jeans or you buy a new cell phone. I mean, there's, just, there's so many options, and what we find... Is that we can get paralyzed by choice. We don't know how to make decisions. Uh, and then not just with trivial things like dressing, it spills over in the rest of life too. The bigger the choice is, sometimes the bigger the paralysis. You know, you, you think, what am I supposed to do with my life? And then your parents come in and they're very well meaning and they say, you can be anything you want to be. Well, that's not helpful. I I need you to limit it down a little bit. Tell me some things I'm not good at, so I can make an easier choice. See, we have trouble. We, who am I supposed to marry? You know, should I buy this house? Should I refinance? Should I retire? What should I do when I retire? All these things. There's so many options, and we can stand there saying, "I don't know. I don't. How do I make a decision? How do I choose which way to go?" So we can get paralyzed. And then maybe you get paralyzed for so long and then all of a sudden you just make a snap decision because you've got to make a decision and it turns out to be the wrong decision. So what we need is wisdom. What we need is wisdom from God. Wisdom in how to make decisions. And today as we wrap up this series on the book of Proverbs, in a sense this is a cumulative one. Now you don't have to have been here for every week to get what's going on, but but this is one where we're going to try to apply wisdom. Say, how do we make decisions? How do we do the right thing at the right time in the right way for the right reason? Uh, as we're going to go through that today, I wanna, I'm just going to give us three big principles that we can hopefully hang our hats on as we try to make decisions. And these are going to be the main points on your outline. I'll give them to you right away. Don't tune out just because you got the answers. The, the first thing is, if the Bible speaks directly about your situation do what is right. The second one is if the Bible doesn't speak directly about your situation, do what seems wise. And lastly, in everything, trust God to do what is best. So let's just go right in that. First, first one, as you're trying to make decisions, here's where we start. If the Bible directly addresses your decision, do what is right. Here's our first proverb for this morning. It's Proverbs 28, verse 9. If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. I'm going to be quick on this one, but I, I want to make it clear that there is a whole category of decisions that you really don't have to think about. They're decisions where God has spoken clearly in his law as to what is right and what is wrong. So, for example, you look at the Ten Commandments. If you're faced with an opportunity, it says, should I lie? no. Should I murder? No. Okay, but those are easy ones. Should I covet? Should I uh, cheat on my spouse? No. God has already spoken in His law, and not just in the Ten Commandments. There are many places in His Word where God has clearly said, "When you're faced with this particular choice, here is the right thing to do." So, so you don't have to pray about it, right? If if you, if you're wondering, should I, uh, should I run away with, with my secretary because i fall in love with her and leave my spouse. Don't pray about that. Okay, you don't say, well, I really think it's God's will that I follow my heart. No, I'll tell you God's will. Do not commit adultery. He's already spoken. And if you proceed in trying to pray about it in that sort of situation, it says, if you've turned your ear away from the law, your prayer is an abomination. God's saying, I've already told you what to do. So in a whole host of situations, God has already said what is right, and so you need to see, does the Bible speak directly on this? If it does, then just do what's right. But, of course, the Bible doesn't speak directly about every situation, because if it did, it would be infinitely huge. There's a whole host of situations, then, that that you have to use wisdom. If it doesn't directly address your situation, you have to do what seems wise. So if you're contemplating marriage, you're not going to find a verse in the Bible that says you shall not marry so-and-so or you shall marry so-and-so. It's just not there. The particular person that you're evaluating, you're not going to find a verse that says marry this person or take this job or buy this house. But the Bible does give us wisdom. Wisdom that we can use in making decisions. And for these Proverbs here, I boil it down to four steps and figure out what, how do we... How do we figure out what seems wise? The first step is to doubt yourself. The first step is to doubt yourself. In these Proverbs, Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. In Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So when I say, uh, do what seems wise, I am not saying go with your gut. I'm not saying just follow your heart or whatever body part you want to choose. D- d- don't. I'm not saying just, just do what you think is right. I'm saying, no, you, you have got to pursue wisdom. Wisdom is not just trusting your own mind. In fact, the first verse says, whoever trusts in his own mind alone, like if, if you're just only saying, well, I think this is right and I'm going to go with it, that's the definition of foolishness. Our hearts can be fooled. our hearts are not reliable in and of themselves. So the first thing you got to do is you got to doubt yourself because if you go with your gut, you can be led astray. I remember when I was choosing uh, a college, there was one college that I was initially very excited about. It's called Rose Holman Institute of Technology. Their mascot is the fighting engineers. Now as I, I, I looked at the school and I was very excited about it for some and as, as I look, look back on it, well I'm, I'm sure it was a good school, right? The wrong school for me. I'm sure it was a good school. As I look back on it, I can see what was going on in my heart that made me really be excited about that school. Primarily, it was the exclusivity of it, and kind of even the nerdiness of it, really appealed to my pride. Like, oh, if I can go to this school, I'm going to be—it's kind of an elite thing. It's sort of like the Ivy School work, you know. Oh, if, I, if I make it into this school, then I'm—I'm I'm somebody. I'm—and I'm, so I was my my heart, which was leading me in that direction was actually leading me for a bad reason, for, for pride. I'm not saying that the school itself was bad, but as you look at my situation there, I would have uh, incurred a lot of debt at that school to get the same education that I got out a school that gave me a significant scholarship otherwise. So through God's intervention and listening to other people, I was directed to the right school, which was Iowa State. And it was right for me, it's probably right for you. No, they didn't pay me for that. But you see, if you just trust your heart, you can be led astray. So an appropriate amount of self-doubt is important as you begin to seek what's wise. Because if you don't have that, you're not even going to go through the rest of the process. So you say, "I got it. I got this one. Here's my decision." The next thing you do after you doubt yourself is you gather information. So gathering information, Proverbs 13:16 says, "In everything, the prudent acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts his folly." Similarly, Proverbs 19.2 says, Desire without knowledge is not good. Whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. So these are both saying it's important to have knowledge, to have information, to, to make a quick snap judgment, to, to flaunt your ignorance and say, I, don't, I didn't do a lot of research, I just felt like this was right. That's, that's not the way to go. To be hasty is to miss your way. You need knowledge. So what's included in this? I think certainly biblical knowledge is in view. I mean, we're getting this out of Proverbs, so when it talks about knowledge, it's talking about right knowledge of of God and, and His Word, which if you've been through this Proverbs series by now, you know, that doesn't just mean theological and moral knowledge. The Bible has that, yes, but it also has rich practical knowledge about relationships and about emotions and about money and about hard work and all these things, And part of having knowledge and making a decision, having a right knowledge of how the world really works as God has explained it in his word. But to that knowledge, additionally, you should add knowledge about the situation you're making a decision about. So if you're considering buying a house, you should seek out biblical knowledge. What does the Bible say about contentment? That's going to be pretty important as you hang out with realtors. I could I could show you one that's just a little bit. out. Of, I know this is your price range, but let's just go a little bit farther. Okay. I'll show you what you can get. Okay, You need to know what the Bible says about contentment. You should know what the Bible says about hospitality. You should know what the Bible says about money, co-signing loans, all sorts of stuff, right? You should know what the Bible says, but you should also add to that knowledge about mortgage rates and floor plans and neighborhoods. You know, so, information it's not just biblical but it is biblical you need to doubt yourself and begin gathering information and one of the ways you gather that information is by talking with other people so the third step is to seek advice from wise people proverbs 11:14 says where there is no guidance a people falls but in an abundance of counselors there is safety in Proverbs 12, 15, it says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. So it's not just enough to on your own just begin seeking information you know, Googling stuff and you know looking in books and, and doing your research. Part of the process is actually seeking advice from counselors, from wise people outside of you. Now why why would you do that? Why is it not enough just to do your own research by yourself? It's because you, you don't know what you don't know. Right? If, if someone comes come up to you, you've done your research, and they say, what haven't you considered as you've done your research for making this decision? You can't answer that. I don't know, I've considered everything. Everything you can think of, but there's, also, there's all this stuff you've never thought of. You're only going to know the things that you know to think about. You need to bring other people in. That's why it says here, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You bring in different people with different perspectives and different life experiences. They're going to think of things that you never even thought about. I didn't know I had to ask that question. I didn't know I had to evaluate. I didn't know that was a possible outcome. I thought I covered all my bases. Well, you you don't. You're not going to by yourself. So you need to ask advice from wise people. And of course, that... That's an important word, wise people. <laughs> Don't just check the box and say, well, I asked some people. <laughs> uh, a lot of people give bad advice. So you should ask wise people, people who have experience, people who you can look to and say, they would be qualified to speak about this situation. So I mean, one of those categories is it just God's given us parents for that reason. I know not all parents are qualified, but you know, by and large, this is how God's designed the family. So parents are helpful in that. Ask your parents, what do they think? Just get input. Um, pastors can be helpful. And I'm not just setting myself up to say, I need to control all the decisions of your life. I'm just saying, I'm not just here to preach to you on Sunday mornings. If you want someone to bounce stuff off of or talk about or say, what's the Bible have to say about this? Or what do you think? I'm here for that. Okay? Friends, wise friends can be helpful. But be careful that you don't just seek advice from people who are exactly like you. That doesn't count as a second opinion. It's just them telling you back your opinion. You get in an echo chamber and you think, oh, everybody agrees that this is the right thing to do. No, just everybody who thinks exactly like you thinks this is the right thing to do. Wisdom says, I'm going to seek advice from people from a wide variety of experiences, um, different perspectives, that as abundance of counselors speaks into my life, I will hear it. And as Proverbs 12, 15 says, um, a wise man listens to advice. So you seek the advice. Sometimes it's going to be contrary to what you thought. You need to be willing to accept that, to honestly evaluate it, not just reject them out of hand, but say, now why do they think that? Is that right? You've got to be open to rebuke. These are all really important steps. In making a major decision, this is what Proverbs has for us. You've got to begin by doubting yourself enough to seek out information, even to seek out information from wise people who can speak into your life. And what do you do then? What's the fourth step? Make a decision. Make a decision. Seems obvious, but it's often a neglected step in decision making. Proverbs 24, 27 says, Prepare your work outside, get everything ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. Proverbs 14, 23 says, In all toil there is profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. So what these are saying is it's important to actually make a decision. Do something. At some point you have to pull the trigger. You've got to decide. You can't go on gathering information forever. That's the analysis paralysis. You just keep bringing in from it. Just keep thinking about. It. I'm going to mold over a little bit more. Maybe have a, I get to talk to another person. At some point, you've got to make a decision. That's why I love Proverbs 24:27. He's like, you're building a house. So yeah, make your plan. You get all the stuff together, gather your supplies, get everything ready, and then build your house. You know, don't, don't just say this. Ah, have we gotten, have we gotten the fixtures just right? Now, are we sure that the interest rate is perfect for, for what we want to do? Um, are, are we sure that we want to do this? Ah, I don't know, I man. I know we got all this stuff worked. Uh, maybe I won't do it. Just just do it. Build the house. Pull the trigger. Proverbs 14:23 reminds us that talk is cheap. Okay, that's our English proverb, but that's how they say it in, in the Bible. In all toil there is uh, uh, in all toil there's profit, but mere talk tends only to poverty. You can spend forever in in gathering information and talking to people and, and having meetings and doing studies and eventually you just have to decide. Um, so let's put this together as an example. A big question. Should I marry this person? How would that work out as we follow these biblical principles for decision-making? Um, well, first of all, you look in the Bible and say, well, there's no direct Uh, There's nothing that directly says marry Susan. You're just not going to find it. But, the Bible does give a wisdom about marriage, so you you start by doubting yourself. A lot of people miss this step. we will say, of course I should marry him. I'm in love. Or, of course I should marry him because it's that age and I'm with this person and if I don't marry them, I'll never marry someone. And so, of course, it's right. But no, you've got to begin by doubting yourself a little bit, saying, but Okay, I understand my heart says I love this person. I'm not saying to discount that, but, but to just listen for a second. Step aside for a second and say, is this the right choice? So you gather information. And the Bible's got lots of relevant information about what it means to, uh, to get married. The Bible tells us things about what a good spouse should look like, uh, what the purpose of marriage is. The Bible's very clear about the fact that you should be spiritually on the same page as your spouse when you get married. Okay, these are all wise things the Bible says that can speak to your situation. Then you should seek advice from wise people. Dare to ask some folks. What do you think about our relationship? What do you think about the chances that we've got? And, and you know what's healthy about the way that we interact? What's unhealthy? Do you, do you think you know? Find some married couple that you respect who's been through it. and You say, you know, you've you've gone through the trenches. What do you think about our relationship? Do you have any advice? And if you go through this process and some red flags pop up, then maybe you should reevaluate. Maybe work on those things or say, okay, this is not the right person. But if there's no red flags, then you should marry him. Right? You don't have to wait for 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 God to give you some sort of special sign. You have to be like, I'm going to flip up my Bible and 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 if the verse is about marriage, then I should marry him. And if it's about, you know, battle of Jericho, then I shouldn't. And you don't have to do those crazy things. That's not how God gives his guidance. You don't roll dice and, and say, well, if it comes up sixes, then I'll marry him. Or, you know, or that song was playing on the radio and that reminded me that about this person and it's clearly a sign from God. No, just use your brain. Is it wise? Go for it. Okay? That's how we make decisions. Well, this approach to decision-making I find to be incredibly liberating. So it's not like you're, you're, you're trying to figure out anymore. that God's got this secret will, this special one thing. I've got to figure it out, and if I get it wrong, then I'm messed up for the rest of my life. But you know, if I get it right, well, then that's the right path for me. No, it's God, this is God's will. Use your brain. Understand what the Bible says. Seek after wisdom and make a decision. It's liberating, but at the same time, it can also be scary because it means that you really have to let go of your perfectionism. You really have to let go of that need to be right, to you know that fear of making a mistake. You, you, you can't you can't say, well, I'm going to get enough, enough information, so I always make the right decision, I'm 100% right, I never screw up. You've got to let that go. Which brings us to the third point. You see, if the Bible directly addresses, you just do what's right. If it doesn't, you do what seems wise. But in everything... You need to trust that God uh, will do what is best. You trust God to do what is best. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. On the flip side, Proverbs 27, 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. So the bottom line is that you've got to trust in God. You have to. You, you can do all these things that the Bible has recommended that I've been teaching this morning. You can go through the whole process. You can get advice. You can you talk to the best experts. You can gather as much information, make a shrewd and wise decision, and then tomorrow anything can happen. Anything can happen. You have no idea. You, you have an illusion of control because you put in all the time trying to make it work out, right? But you have no control. What you have to do is trust in God. It's the only option. Trust in God. Not leaning on your own understanding, not, not resting in your understanding, but resting in God. Doing the work and resting in God. So this trust, this trust in God is central and it's got at least three parts to it. First, you, you've just got to trust that God has the power to establish your plans. You've got to trust that he has the power to establish your plans. We see this in Proverbs 16:33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. And the lot, that closest thing that we've got is like dice, right? It was They would cast lots or draw straws would be an analogy for us. And that was a, a way that people used to, to figure out what was God's will When every other option was exhausted, it was just, well, it's down to these options. We don't know, so let's just draw straws. The reason why that worked is because God is absolutely sovereign over everything. God is in control of what you roll when you play Candyland with your kids. That's why I never win. God is in control. He's, He's in charge of everything, down to the pips on a die. He's in charge of tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow brings, but God does. In Proverbs 21.30 says, No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. So he's got all the power, nothing's going to stop him, he's in charge. That's part of trusting God, that he's got power. But to that you add a trust that God has the right to change your plans. So trusting God means he's got power to establish plans, but also that he's got the right to change your plans. Look at Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16, 9. "The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps." So you see, God's not just here to rubber stamp your plans. God's not just here for you to say, uh, "I've made this plan, and now I'm trusting in you to make sure it happens." That's not how it works. You don't get to tell God, here's how it's going to go. We have our plans, there's many plans in our minds, we've got plans in our hearts, we do these things, but God is the one who makes his plans to be established. So part of trust is recognizing that God has that right, as God, to take your best laid plans and screw with them. Now why would he do that? You know, That'd be demoralizing by itself. Why would I even make plans if God's just going to change them? So you add the third part. It's a trust that God will change your plans for your best. He's got the power to establish your plans. He can, he's got the right to change them. But when he changes them, he's going to change them to make them better. You think, Why would God need to change my plans? Well, maybe you made the wrong decision. In Proverbs 16.2, it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. So maybe you thought this was right. Maybe you thought you had the right motives and the right heart. Uh, but if you actually things would have worked out the way that you thought, it would not have been good for you. Or more bluntly, Proverbs sixteen twenty five: There is a way that seems right to a man, but at the end its way is death. Okay. So you may have had the perfect plan for your life, but if things had actually gone the way that you planned them, you'd be dead right now. Or, or hurt, or a, a worse person or have missed out on something incredibly enriching that you experience. You, you just have no idea. You don't know. You're not God. I'm not God. We can make our best plans, but he's got better plans. Because God loves you, he changes your plans sometimes. In Proverbs 35, 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. He never makes mistakes. You might change your plans, and it might be, at that time, a huge disappointment for you. But you just write it out. Just keep trusting God, and you'll see that he's going to use his power and his right to change your plans to make things work out for your best. So in a nutshell, this is how decision-making works in the Christian framework. You first listen to the Bible say, so where does it speak directly to my situation? If it speaks directly, then you just obey it. If it doesn't speak directly, then you seek wisdom. But all the time, you're trusting God to use his power to either establish your plans, plans or to make them better. The, the final word, though, is like I've got to be clear on this. This, 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 this framework for decision-making only works really for christians it only really works for christians now certainly the process can be helpful for anybody so that process of of doubting yourself and gathering information and getting advice making decisions i mean that's you'll find that in management books and leadership things i mean it's it's common wisdom that can work for anybody to a certain extent but but how how does a non christian deal with the uncertainties of life. You know, anybody can use this process to make good plans, but nobody knows what tomorrow may bring. So how does a non-Christian respond? Well, a lot of people I've actually heard say something very similar to what I've said. They say, well, you just got to trust that everything works out for the best. Which I, you've heard me say, in a, in a sense I agree with. But when, when folks just say that with no actual basis for it, it kind of makes me fired up because it's just a nonsensical statement for someone who doesn't, for someone who has not been brought into a covenant relationship with God, such that they know that God is always for them. If you just say, "Oh, you just got to believe that everything works out for good," I want to say, "Why? Why do you believe that? On what basis do you make that ridiculous statement?" I mean, you, you may have worked hard in college. And, and made a plan to be the, the president of a company, and, and you didn't get a promotion because your boss was sexist. That's a reason. That happened for a reason. The reason is your boss is sexist. What confidence do you have as a non-Christian to say that that's somehow going to work out for the best in your life? You have zero confidence. That's the answer. You have no basis for that. You have a platitude that you saw on Pinterest that made your heart feel warm and fuzzy, and that's what you're basing your life on. So you need more than that. If you're going to base your life, these major decisions about who you're going to marry, where you're going to work, where you're going to go to school, what you're going to do with your retirement, if you're going to base those decisions on just a simple feeling that well, everything will work out for good, then you're going to be disappointed. Because there is no promise for non-Christians that everything will work out for your good. It's not there. You know what the gospel says? The gospel says, in fact, that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, everything will work out for your bad. The gospel says the bad news is is that all of us are born alienated from God. We're enemies of Christ. God is not inclined to make everything work out for good for his enemies. In fact, God promises that everything will ultimately work out incredibly bad for his enemies. That's justice. That's what we deserve. But the beautiful good news of the gospel is that God promises that he freely gives his favor to those who will accept Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus came to live and to die in our place. He offered himself as a sacrifice for us so that if we will put our faith in him, God will miraculously and freely, graciously transfer us from being an enemy to whom he is opposed to being his beloved child. For whom now everything is guaranteed to work out for your best. Now you have a basis. You're the basis of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. See the last verse I want to give you today is one I read to open us up this morning. It's from Romans eight, thirty one and thirty two. Here's here's your basis. Here's your basis for confident decision making if you're a Christian. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? See, that's the basis for our confidence. It's the cross. If God has already demonstrated his love for us in giving the most precious thing in the universe to him, he's given us his son, If he has already demonstrated that commitment to us, we can trust that when he changes our best-laid plans, he's not doing it to spite us. He's not doing us to to mess with us. He's doing it because it's for our good. And even though it doesn't look like our good at that time, we go back to the cross and we say, "God gave us His Son." If he has given us his son, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Not everything we ask for, but everything we should ask for. Not everything we plan, but everything he plans for our good. So as we're talking about making decisions today, the most important decision that any of us can make is to follow Jesus. And, and if you if you feel like oh that's just been sprung on me today, I don't know, I would encourage you follow the process. Doubt yourself. Ask yourself, does my worldview really work? Do I really have a basis for that Pollyanna belief that everything's going to work out for my best? Or is there something I'm missing? Get some information. Find out what the Bible has to say. Come talk to me. Talk to others. Get advice from folks. Maybe people who have been Christians for a while and you say, does this really work? Is this really true? Can you tell me about God's care for you in your life? And then make a decision. Okay? Don't Don't put it off. Don't say, I need a little more information. You don't. What you need to do is to decide to trust God with your very life. And having done that, every day we're still faced with decisions, aren't we? Millions of decisions. That's life. Decision after decision after decision. Don't get paralyzed by the overwhelming options that we've got. Don't get paralyzed thinking, I've got to get it perfect. Believe God. Trust in Him. And just make a decision. And I pray that it's, you know, as we wrap up this series on Proverbs, we wrap up this, uh, this particular message that, that God's wisdom would continue to go so deep in our hearts that we'd be able to understand in, in every situation what is the right thing to do in the right time, the right way, for the right reason. And we boldly make decisions, giving glory to God. As folks say, How did you get so wise? Because well, it wasn't me. I just read the book, and God worked in my heart. Oh, may that be. Let's pray. Father, I am grateful for your word and I'm grateful for the wisdom that is there and I am so grateful that as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have a foundation, a firm foundation, a take-it-to-the-bank promise on which to say, I am confident that no matter what happens, no matter what foolish mistakes I make, no matter what wrong decisions I make, no matter what evil things are done to me, I am confident that you are working it all for good. Lord, if there's anyone here today who does not have that confidence, would you work in their hearts to decide to trust you to be born again into your family? And Lord, for those of us who have had that confidence at times and struggle now to still believe that you love us because we're in the midst of a struggle, Lord, would you give us encouragement by your word that you have promised us, you've given us your son, how will you not also along with him graciously give us all things? Lord, we rest in you today. In Jesus' name, amen.